Hello and welcome back to the future of figure skating. I'm Anna Keller and my guest today is Christopher Trevisan. Chris is the director of the Skating School of Switzerland, where he works alongside head coach Stefan Lambiel and his students, aka Team Champere. In 2019, the Skating School of Switzerland became one of the ISU's pilot centers of excellence. Chris also is the manager and agent for Stefan and for Dennis Vasilievs. I'm a huge admirer of Team Champere's approach to skating, and if you didn't already know it about me, this conversation will definitely out me as a fan. I hope you'll enjoy Chris's unique perspective and some really intriguing ideas about how the competition rules could reward creativity and the strengths of a wider range of skaters. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. First off, I was hoping that you could tell me just a little bit about the different roles that you have in the skating world as a manager, as a director of the skating school, and some of the different things that you do. Yeah, sure. I wear a lot of hats, actually. You've mentioned my role as the director of the skating school of Switzerland. You know, as part of that, I manage or I oversee all the administrative aspects of uh, running the school. I also weigh in on the training program together with the coaches. Of course, I'm not alone in this. I have uh, colleagues helping me with various um, aspects of the work. As a manager, I get to represent, I think, two of the most uh, incredible talents in the sport in uh, Stefan and Dennis. That's been extremely interesting for me and uh, really a kind of a radical change from the career that I was sort of heading towards because uh, my background is rather, let's say, connected with finance. So I studied economics and business administration and finance, and I completed my PhD thesis in 2016. And kind of at that critical point, you know, I had to think about where I was going, whether I was going to go into academia or into, uh, you know, the private sector. And at the same time, together with Stefan, we had created this school and we had also other projects on the side. At the time, I thought, well, you know what, that, that's actually what I'm the most interested in right now. It's been now more than six years that this is my full-time job and it has gone by in a, really in a flash but I've lived through so many wonderful experiences and uh, you know just having the privilege of working with this amazing team uh, you know whether it's the coaches or the the skaters just people that are so passionate about what they do and for me it's a constant challenge um, because you know as I said the work is very varied. So I go from uh, uh, working on accounting and taxes for the year to editing music for skaters going to the Olympics to having discussions with parents about uh, how to manage the education and the training. There's just so many aspects. And uh, for me, that's really one of the things I'm the happiest about in these roles. So many people who are involved in skating came to it from being skaters themselves. And that's not your background, but maybe that's something that you bring having this different background and knowing the business and management side so well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it helps a lot to have this, uh, this different perspective. I was never a skater myself. I did play hockey when I was very young for about a year and a half. So I can stand on skates and uh, I have uh, on occasion went and uh, skated with the team. But as you said, I don't have that technical knowledge and I haven't grown up in that world. And so um, maybe some of the things that are so deeply rooted for people that are practicing this sport because they've been usually doing it for so long, uh, starting so young, these things are, are not evident to me. And so it means also, uh, hopefully, that there are instances where I have this distance and, you know, some things just like they stand out to me as an outsider, uh, but they don't to uh, someone that has been in skating all their life. 
we all have our roles at the school. I'm not a coach and I'm not coaching skaters, but I take a look at the programs when they're done. I also sometimes get to say, uh, you know, what I think. And most of the time, it's probably a good thing that I shut up because, you know, I can be quite wrong as well. But hopefully I can bring this perspective Certainly, this also, you know, can give a little bit of clarity to or background to the things we, we will hopefully talk about later on. I cannot speak for the skaters. I am not a skater. I was never a skater. I cannot speak for the coaches because I'm not one of them. But I have been close enough to so many athletes and coaches and judges and people involved in skating for now so long that I feel I have absorbed some of that. And I try to look at it from my own personal perspective and come up with ideas and proposals that, that I think make sense. It's been quite a while. I was thinking about that yesterday. My first competition, the first competition I ever watched was Worlds in 2004 in Dortmund. So I met Stefan in high school in 2000. And I cannot say that I was really interested in figure skating at the time. <laughs> but we traveled with some of our classmates to Dortmund to support Stefan on the day of the free skating there. And it was such an incredible experience for me. I can really clearly pinpoint the date where I fell in love with the sport. And it was that day. This competition was kind of a breakthrough moment for him. He performed just brilliantly his program improvised an additional quad jump in his free that was not planned at all and just got everyone to their feet and it was this transcendental moment where you go beyond what you're normally capable of and for you as a person in the audience you know just like connecting so deeply with a performance and these moments that really draw me to figure skating. I've never experienced that watching something else. It's certainly very personal, but I've been, you know, lucky to live some of these moments. Another one that comes to mind, obviously, is Dennis's performance at Europeans last year. And, uh, you know, I'm still like really emotional thinking about it. And I remember that you were in Sheffield as well this November, just seeing everyone get on their feet at the end of the performance. These moments, they're so precious. And for me, they make it all worth it. I don't care that I work seven days a week, and <laughs> 10 hours a day. And, uh, having practically no vacation, you know? It's the sum of all of that work. And then it also goes beyond some of its parts. Exactly. That's why, I mean, it's not magical because it doesn't come from nowhere. There's all the preparation going into it and all the work that the athletes have put in and just all of that suddenly connecting at the right moment when it matters. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's an amazing sport. And, and I really want to encourage people to come and watch the performances live. I try to go as often as I can, as often as my schedule allows me to, because there's something happening in the room. I don't know how to explain it. You know, I, I can imagine that there is something chemical happening in the air. You know, there is a certain atmosphere that makes you understand also and connect with those performances way more. You're watching something on the screen and you think like, okay, this was good or this was better. But then actually when you were there on site, the perspective is really different. All these extra details that you get from the performance that you miss when you were just watching it on YouTube, the six minutes, seeing how the skaters are behaving in the six minutes, you get to choose who you want to look at, right? You are not constrained by the camera going after the one that gets called out um, at that specific moment or the one that, you know, the TV wants to show for some reason. If you want to watch the same person for six minutes, that's your prerogative. 
and you get to see everything going through their minds as maybe they set up a jump, maybe it doesn't work, and then they get it. To me, it's all part of the performance. Really, I, I can only encourage people to travel to competitions as often as I can and make that experience. And not just competitions, shows. It's amazing that now we're able to watch the Grand Prix on YouTube. You know, I remember a time, when, certainly when Stefan was competing, and I was just there on my computer hitting F5 like a maniac, hoping to see the scores update, having no idea what happened. And then, you know, maybe going on some forum and trying to see someone, you know, posting play by plays and a century ago. Now we're so fortunate that we get to see everything on YouTube, but there's a lot more. And I really want people to experience all of that live as much as they can. I hope more people do start to go to competitions. I went to four continents and the audience was so small. They tried to be enthusiastic and there are certainly a lot of skaters in Colorado Springs who were showing up to support their friends and training mates, but it was a big arena and it was mostly empty and it didn't have quite that same feeling for some of the wonderful skates there. Sheffield, even in that small arena, was full of enthusiastic people and it feels very different. Absolutely. And not, not just to the audience, but to the skaters, right? That's what they do this for certainly the ones that i'm closest to they can't imagine performing to an empty audience they do this to entertain to to connect an empty arena that's that's the stuff of nightmares we've gone through two years or so of those experiences and certainly i can say that we're happy on the other side when you travel to competitions what kinds of things are you responsible for in the team well, the basic thing is, uh, you know, handling the logistics. So that's the rather prosaic part. I organize the travel and I make sure that we have, you know, hotels, cars or uh, train tickets and so on. That's when we arrive, if someone needs anything that they don't need to run around and try to solve problems on their own. That's the basic role I have. And uh, it goes also a little bit beyond that. I think uh, I'm also happy to be there uh, simply as moral support uh, for uh, for everyone. Uh, you know, competitions are, are a very tense moment. For instance, with Dennis, we spend a lot of time during competitions, uh, usually just walking around and having discussions, sometimes about his performance coming up or sometimes about completely unrelated topic, you know, Star Wars or so on. I would say that it's very varied. And sometimes, you know, it's tracking down the technical controller to find out why uh, an element was invalidated, you know, that happened recently. Or, you know, getting clarifications on some rules. So, for instance, at, at Europeans, we had this uh, little bit of a surprise with the draw of the short program, where despite being ranked fifth in the competition, Dennis had to skate in the penultimate group. At the time, I was present as team leader for Latvia, uh, effectively, and, and so it was my job to find out if this was done according to the rules, and it was. But it did give me an idea, though, for the future, because I think the rule could be improved. Just maybe for our listeners, what happened was that there was a tie in the world standings. Two skaters were ranked sixth. And because the draw for the short program was done according to the world standings and then subgrouping by three skaters, this meant that they had to extend the subgroup to four skaters. And then they had the draw within these four positions. And the result was that Dennis drew the smallest number there, or the number was drawn for him because uh, this was not done by the athletes themselves. And so that meant that he had to skate in the previous group. 
which of course should not matter in principle, but there's a whole paragraph about this rule and a little bit tedious, frankly. So my proposal there is simply to break the ties ahead of the draw and uh, simply have a new ranking list made after this initial tie breaking. That also seems just a lot simpler than the current rule, also simply to explain. I was glad that you posted the explanation of that uh, on Twitter too, because I was watching the fans, you know, the meme with the crazy eyed person with the conspiracy theory board and all of the signs and everything. Like that's, I think that's what everyone was turning into a little bit of trying to figure it out for themselves. No, I, I thought it would be useful. So I'm not on Twitter a lot, naturally. You know, it's kind of a, a team champery thing to not be extremely active on social media. But I did see someone's tweet that was recommended to me wondering about that. And um, I had just gone through figuring out why it was like this. And so I thought, okay, someone else has this question. I might as well share the explanation that we don't generate any uh, conspiracy theories. There are enough of those. So for changing a rule like that, what is the process? Who makes the decisions over these? So I I listened to the podcast that you had with uh, Jeroen Prince. And actually this process, I think he explained uh, quite well. The way the ISU is structured, you have this deciding body, the Congress, that meets every two years. So it means if you want to make a change to those rules, you need to make a proposal and the proposal can only come from a member federation. So, for instance, the Swiss Federation could make a proposal to change this particular rule that we talked about. And then this gets voted on and then it passes or it doesn't. As he explained, there are sometimes rules that, you know, take a few Congresses to pass. This is all rather slow moving. And certainly I think that one of the things we we should aim for is to have a faster pace for innovation. And so perhaps there is a better way to decide on certain things than just waiting two years and hope to convince enough people within the member federations that it's worth pursuing. For this particular rule, I'm hoping to make a proposal for that for the next Congress. It's not a major issue, to be clear but I feel it's one that is easily fixed. You know, I'll be drafting a proposal and seeing with probably the Latvian Federation if it makes sense to them and if they're agreeing to present it and then see what happens. Maybe it's not worth it. Who knows? Since we're talking about the topic of the world standings, I feel like there's a lot of work that could be done to improve the way the world standings are currently calculated. I'm working also on a proposal for that. The thing with the world standings is it used to be just this informal ranking of the skaters. I don't know exactly what the impulse was at the very beginning, but maybe it was simply to provide the media with some sort of a general overview of how people are doing. But then more and more, this became used for things like starting orders at competitions. You know, it does make sense because of TV broadcasting often being limited to the the final two groups. You want to make sure that the top skaters are going to be in those groups. And so you need to somehow have a ranking We've seen then that there are a lot of issues with the way it's calculated right now. For instance, because you know it's calculated based on uh, the past three seasons, including the current one, with a lower weight on the the oldest season. You have a number of boxes uh, for the ISU Championships and the Olympics, the Grand Prix, seniors or junior, for uh, Europeans, uh, for continents, and then for what we used to call senior Bs, uh, so international competitions. It means that, first of all, you're discarding a lot of information because you only get points if you are ranked at a certain rank. 
So at the senior Grand Prix, you need to be top eight. So anything below that is completely discarded. You get zero points. It means also that someone that doesn't compete a lot, for instance, because they've been injured, they get a very low ranking. And it takes a long time to catch up because, again, there's so much inertia. You're giving the same weight to the points you earned at the senior B a year and a half ago than, uh, say, the world championships this year. That creates one issue. And then another issue is that uh, you can have competitions that have a very high level of, of skaters. Maybe there are many entries and others that are smaller, maybe with fewer top level skaters. And somehow winning those two events gives you exactly the same number of points. That's not ideal. So there are ways to, to deal with that. What I was looking at is the ELO system uh, used in chess. And there are ways that you can transform this into a multiplayer version. Uh, so for instance, there is a, a model developed by Microsoft. They needed it for their video games, basically. So they need to have kind of a measure of the latent level of the players throughout the games that they play to be able to match then the players into new games so that you're always playing with people that are more or less your level to a level where it's satisfying as a player. The goal here is completely different, but the idea is the same, is we're trying to measure this latent skill of the skaters. And this is really what the world standings is. It should be as up to date as possible, a measure of this latent level uh, of the skaters. And so then it gets into, you know, a bit of mathematics and statistical and inference, but it's not an unsolvable problem. And as I said, there are models out there that can be applied uh, immediately to calculate that and then have a much better, much more accurate world standings. And then, of course, it makes complete sense to use that for anything. It's just that today it's been complicated. And especially, you know, with the COVID years where people were not able to compete and so, or they had unequal access to competitions because of travel restrictions or so on, or athletes in general, just not having the same opportunities to compete. We, I think, would benefit from having that be more accurately measured. I've been thinking about this a lot for the past uh, couple of years. Well, there's the example that you gave about how that was impacting Dennis and not to bring up sore subject, but if he had done a combo on the axle at the last competition that he would have won, it would have given him more points and it would have been enough potentially to have put him in a different group at Worlds. Absolutely. But to be clear, he performed poorly at this competition. So in fact, this would have reduced his standings because the idea is that you expect the level to be at a certain value. And so you expect that there's going to be in any given performance, statistical distribution of the level of that performance, which is going to be around your true level. And so what you will do is to update this expectation based on the latest performance. And with every new performance, you update your expectation. And so someone performing below their expected performance level would simply see their expectation reduced. And so the world standings in that case would go lower. Then of course, it depends who was part of the competition again, uh, because you could do it based on the total points. You could do it based on the ranking. But the idea is, did you perform better than the other people in the competition? If at a, a given competition, the rankings in the end are exactly the same as uh, they are in the world standings, then there's no update essentially, because it means it was close to the truth. What matters then is who did you beat, you know, or who beat you? If it's unexpected, meaning it varies from the normal order of the world standings, then it's going to be an update. 
it would help a skater like I was thinking of Koshiro, who for a while was not getting assigned to international competitions. I mean, it varies so much based on your federation, how many skaters they're trying to send, how they prioritize doing that. And ultimately, it means also that it's much more reactive to new information. So uh, that's what you want. If you have someone bursting onto the scene and suddenly they're top 10 in the world, the thing is because of the world standing points, it's going to take them a whole season and a bit more to get there, even winning everything. Again, as I said, it's not rocket science. Those models exist. It's only the matter of uh, implementing them. And again, typically, this is something that would have to go through a proposal for Congress. What else are you thinking would be good to change, whether you're you know, ready for a proposal or um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, thinking about more generally? But what else would you like to see change in the sport? Where to start? <laughs> Again, I love this sport very much. And it is clear to me, though, that we need to think quite deeply, profoundly about what it is that we want to see in a figure skating performance. And I think that is the kind of thinking that it seems to me is lacking a little bit in the way the rules are made. We see a lot of rule changes. So now I'm talking about technical rules that are driven in reaction to something that we have observed that we didn't like in the performances. Ton of examples of that. We end up with little fixes every season and then big fixes every four years. And it feels quite reactive. And the result is outcomes that sometimes are worse than uh, the situation that we were trying to fix. What I would like to see is an outcome-driven perspective on the technical rules. The question I always ask myself is, what do I want to see? What is interesting to me? It's not, could we add difficulty to the step sequence by requiring that now skaters can only repeat one time, one turn in the clusters? I think it's a very good example of the kind of issues that we end up with thinking in reactionary terms. For a while, we had everyone do rocker counter twizzle on the left foot and then on the right as part of their clusters. Obviously, people have raised this issue. I certainly remember talking about it with uh, some people within the ISU. And then we thought, okay, we need to change that. So how do we create more diversity? Because that's what I want to see. Okay, let's prevent them from repeating more than one turn. And the result is that now everyone does bracket counter twizzle and rocker counter loop I haven't looked at it in detail statistically, to be honest, but just watching those competitions, it feels to me as we have somehow reduced the diversity even more by trying to fix the diversity issue that we had to start with. And it goes beyond that because it's not just that everyone does bracket counter twizzle or bracket counter loop, it's that everyone does a forward inside bracket. There are a lot more that you can do. <laughs> so why is that? I hope that we can have more of this outcome-driven uh, reflection in those rules. And that is one of the things that you know we proposed with the Centers of Excellence Initiative that our school is part of. So we had a workshop last fall uh, organized by the center in Bergamo, Italy. And so all the centers or all of those that could travel came to Bergamo and we had uh, some really interesting exchanges there. And one thing that came out was, you know, we want to contribute with what we have, the resources we have, we want to contribute to thinking about how to improve the rules in the future. It's not that we know better than the judges, that, that's not the issue. 
we have our perspective and you know the judges have their perspective and what matters is that we have exchanges because we might not necessarily realize what is important to the judges when i say the judges i mean the, the judging side in general you know, for levels it's more the technical panel obviously but they don't necessarily realize what is easy or what is difficult or what is interesting or not uh, for the skaters together propose that we make ourselves available you know we have coaches that are that have the competency to work on the most technical difficult things that uh, you can think of and we have skaters that can try it and show it to you and uh, sometimes you know maybe a proposal will be just like that's not difficult it's only difficult because no one does it today but once you start giving points for it everyone will start to do it you know we see that for instance with jumps with the arms in the air right so it it used to be that this was an added difficulty and so you would get positive goes for doing that and suddenly skaters were doing it on every single jump and now it's no longer earning you goes but in fact there are uh, a lot of skaters that continue to do it with their arms up in the air because actually for some of them it's easier to do it that way and so this difficulty is going to vary from person to person but certainly in the athlete side of things there is untapped potential to participate in the reflection about uh, about changes and uh, and the the evolution of figure skating and the figure skating program yeah i saw that the ice dance committee was holding a lot of meetings at competitions throughout the season and trying to get feedback because they'd had some big changes and if that process was well received that maybe something like that should also be happening in the other disciplines as well Absolutely I think that we need to reconnect the, the two sides a lot more that's really something that I want to see right now there's almost this taboo of a distance you know even as a technical specialist it's debatable whether you're allowed outside of a competition to advise a skater on their program and why should that be we we are all hoping to see the best skating possible that's the reason why we do what we do and so it should be completely natural to have these exchanges including with the judges and it does seem like the centers of excellence because the ISU has said here you are you're special you have a lot to give the sport then that should give a platform i would hope so i just want to go back to what you mentioned earlier about the ice dance and uh, i don't know much about ice dance and the rules uh, frankly i resist reading the rules about ice dance because i know that it's so complicated but it's also one of my absolute favorite disciplines because there's so much skating and i think that is what i'm the most interested in in general what you can do with your skates on the ice i find this discipline so interesting so beautiful there's a lot of discussions in ice dance with the rules because of course they change and they have to be very strict the bar in terms of what you have to present in connection with the music is so much higher i feel than uh, in in singles i wish that we could have more of that in single skating as well there's a lot more room though even with all the restrictions and a lot of more reward for creativity musicality individuality and that is so important to get back on the meetings that the commissions are having what you also have is the coaches meeting at every competition so there is feedback and exchanges happening at every competition in the ice dance discipline and we should absolutely have that in singles as well the focus that maybe the judging side will have because they've received certain instructions that maybe this is more valued or this is more important now or we need to pay attention to that then share that information and you know maybe we also have some things to say that you didn't think about and that could change your appreciation of what's going on on the ice so certainly i'm i'm in favor of reconnecting the two sides a lot more 
one idea that I had heard in the context of pairs, but I think it could apply to singles as well, is to have choreographic elements the way that dance does. So to have a choreographic spin or in pairs, a choreographic lift where you don't have to have levels. And so therefore more originality or difficulty could be rewarded. You get to the same question then of how is that judged objectively? But I think it could be very interesting. What is the purpose of adding choreographic elements? Is it to encourage skaters to have uh, more freedom in what they do? Yeah, I think that's the idea. And is it going to be evaluated uh, with that in mind? If so, yes. But I feel like you're almost baiting me with this question. Intentionally. (laughs) (laughs) Because we had at Europeans, Dennis's choreographic sequence that was invalidated. Obviously, I went back to the rules again and to check why. And the thing that people should know is that this season, there was a change in the rules for the choreographic sequence, where now the choreographic sequence requires two skating movements, such as, etc., etc. So such as a spread eagle, an arabesque, a spiral, a jump, a spin, and so on, and etc. There's a key word, I think, in this definition is etc. Why did we create this choreographic sequence to begin with? So I think this goes back to 2012. So at the time, we had two step sequences, serpentine step sequence, circular step sequence, or straight line step. And at the time, people were saying, well, we have too many elements with levels, and we want to give the skaters more freedom. Let's have no level for one of the step sequences. Amazing idea. Amazing. We love that. We love the freedom. The problem was that in the end, what you would see up until last season were choreographic sequences where sometimes the only thing the skater was doing was just a widespread eagle across the ring. And that was it. You know, it can be a beautiful spread eagle, but apparently it was not to everyone's taste. Again, we go back to this reactionary problem. Now, to make the choreographic sequence more complicated, we added the requirement that there need to be two skating moves. And so we went from giving a lot of freedom to the skaters to do whatever they want, so long as it's choreographic, musical, and then we're going to evaluate this based on GOEs to, okay, now you have, again, boxes to fill, check marks to tick in your performance. And so that total freedom is gone. There, what I want to say is, if the problem you had was skaters only doing one spread eagle across the rink. Don't give that plus four GOEs. It's okay to tell the skaters and the coaches, you know, we want to see some variety. We want to see some steps and communicate that. It doesn't have to be a rule that it needs to include this, 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 this. Otherwise, we're back to square one. I am a little bit frustrated with that change because that was an element where there was a possibility to have that freedom and develop something. And obviously, going back to Dennis's case, uh, I think he has a beautiful choreographic sequence in his free skating. It is very musical, it is original, and has a ton of unique movements, a lot of skating movements. But apparently, the skating movements that he was doing were not recognized as skating movements by the technical panel. It is their role to decide, in the end, what is a skating movement. This is what we call a field of play decision. There is no way you can disagree, or you can disagree, but it doesn't matter. 
And so if I look at that uh, choreographic sequence, there are a lot of elements that I would personally recognize as skating movements. They might not be part of the four examples given before the et cetera, but it's certainly frustrating to see that you create something really interesting, which was the original intention to give, again, this freedom to choreograph something interesting and suddenly find that this is worth nothing because we didn't tick a box or you didn't believe that we ticked a certain box. I don't question the technical panel's call. I disagree with it personally, but I also understand that it's a very difficult job that we have given them to evaluate the programs in the way that uh, they have to be evaluated. The technical panel handbook is like 25 pages and some of these rules are incredibly complex. I read it once or twice every season. And, you know, whenever I get to the spin section, I, my head starts spinning, you know. It's, it's a difficult job. What we see, though, going forward, do we want to have more of these choreographic elements? I'm in favor of more freedom, but then be true to that original meaning. Do not restrict that further. Do not create more boxes to tick. So my answer, I guess, is it depends. <laughs> I think that there are other ways that we can reward creativity and originality that are already baked into the system. I want to ask you a little bit more about some of your goals for the Skating School of Switzerland and how you're hoping for that to develop in the future. We want to continue developing simply at our own pace and you know, keeping true to the values that we have and that are important to us. We are a small team. And that is by choice. You know, a lot of people have asked me, you know, so you want to develop, maybe open another school somewhere else? No, that is not what we are looking for. Uh, we're not interested in creating a factory for champions. There is nothing wrong with that. If that is your objective, I want to be clear, but that is not what we are interested in. What we want is to be able to help skaters reach their potential, not just athletically, but in their lives. And so our approach is very personal. And um, there's no point for us to suddenly have 10 senior skaters that we can't follow to competitions or that we can't give as much time to as we want. The areas of development are many, but it's not about the size. It's about improving our training program, bringing new experiences for the skaters. And one thing we have turned our attention to uh, now is training coaches for the future, whether it's you know within our own ranks, former skaters uh, that want to continue their career in the skating world or young coaches from other places that want to make an experience. And so uh, we're hoping to start uh, an internship program uh, next year for young coaches to come, have an experience here, work with some of our skaters, work with our coaches and the people that we bring in. And hopefully for us to discover also new interesting people that, you know, that could be uh, good for the school and, and, and hopefully to have our values spread a little bit more around the world. And so that's one area that we want to develop. One other thing that is very dear to us is to continue developing our Learn to Skate program. So with the pandemic, we've had to basically shut down our Learn to Skate program, which was uh, really hard and uh, sad because uh, there was a really good dynamic uh, going on. And uh, with all the COVID restrictions that we had in terms of number of athletes on the ice, uh, level of uh, professionalism that they had and so on, 
it just made it impossible for us to to organize these sessions for a little bit over a year, actually, because we restarted this in January of 2022. And then you basically start from scratch again. And I know that, uh, you know, from talking with my colleagues uh, elsewhere in the world, it's it's been very difficult because, of course, you shut something down and people, of course, look for uh, something else to do. And then, uh, okay, you start again, but you know, you know what, maybe they like what they're doing now and don't want to give skating a go. And so it takes time to rebuild this. And I'm really happy now that it's picking up again. Um, and we were able to do a small Christmas show, a part of a show with uh, some of these learn to skate skaters included. You know, it was really heartwarming to see. And uh, the thing is also this grows kind of organically. Someone comes in and then, you know, they like it and then they want their friend to come along. And so they bring the friend for a try and then they like it as well. Or, and for instance, with the show, we've had kids in the audience, obviously, and they saw uh, their comrades or, you know, other young people their age uh, skating out there and uh, having a, a great time. And then they want to try as well. This is a living organism, you know, and, it, and therefore it takes time. Certainly, we've been hurt by the, this, this pandemic in many ways, that's for sure. But this is just one of the ways. And certainly, we want this program to, to thrive because part of our mission also here as a, as a center here in Champéry specifically, when we arrived, there was no skating happening, really. You know, this is also an opportunity for us to give back to the community for what they give us by, by having this precious tool that we have where we get to work every day and, and offer these courses for the general population. We're not necessarily talking about uh, people that will later on become competitive skaters. You know, we were open to have hockey players. We had hockey players, like beginner hockey players, take part in those courses. And it's great. What we just want is for them to discover the pleasure that you can have on the ice. And I think that's so important because it's so much fun to be on the ice, really. And we just need people to try it. And they will love it. At least I'm sure many people will love it. And so I'm always super happy to see all these outside rinks uh, being built here and there. And those are great things to get people in touch with, with skating. We don't, they don't need to be competitive, but someone that tries skating likes it, then maybe we'll go and watch a show. Maybe they will go and watch competition. And we need these people involved in the sport. Or maybe they will become a judge. I would love for that to happen. That is some of the things that we want to see in, in the future. Yeah, that's great. Champere is such a small community. It's an amazingly beautiful place. And there's a lot of benefits to being in some place like that. But why did you want to be there rather than in a bigger city, someplace where you would have access to potentially more resources, more students, any of that? Well, the initial thinking was we need a place that is open almost year round because the intention was to create a training center for competitive skaters competing at the national or international level. And at that level, train 50 weeks per year, more or less. And um, the other intention was to have under one roof all the competencies are needed for that type of training. And so that narrowed down the list quite a lot. <laughs> and on top of that, you needed to have a place that was sufficiently available. So the issue you will have in a large city is that you have an ice rink because there is a professional hockey team playing, but that professional hockey team requires a lot of ice and they take priority over figure skating. The critical thing here was that Champery was really underutilized, but it had all this potential. 
And of course, we started small, so it's not like we were using 10 hours of ice a day back then. But the city was willing to bet on our success. And we are so grateful that, you know, they took a chance with us and uh, trusted us to make it work. You know, little by little, we've been able to grow without being too limited in terms of ice availability. Again, Champery is open 11 months a year, closes for about four and a half weeks. We close two, two and a half weeks uh, during this period of time. So we close from end of April to beginning of May. And then we usually have a two-week period of training camp abroad or in another ice rink in Switzerland. But usually in May, most ice rinks are closed. And so it's really difficult to find ice insufficient amount also in Switzerland. And so we've been going to Taos, for instance, in, in Austria. And this year, we're actually going to go to Japan. And it's also always a nice experience for, I think, the skaters to, to see also a different landscape. Because, you know, as beautiful as the landscape is in Champery, we also need to, you know, refresh our minds once in a while. It's also a really nice experience. And it's good for morale to travel a little bit somewhere else and, and work there. I want to ask what else we haven't touched on, because we've talked some about the rules. We've talked some about what you're working on right now. Are there other things that we should talk about? Well, there's one thing I would like maybe to discuss. It's, it's not really fully formed topic just yet, but I've been participating with the team in some reflections about uh, the future of figure skating, which is topical, I think, for your podcast. One of the things that's being discussed is competition format. My feeling is that currently figure skating has become a bit of a niche. The interest from the audience has gone down. We want to get that back up. How do we do it? Uh, but also it's become a niche because requirements make it that the sport has become very selective. Because right now there is such an emphasis on the number of rotations that you can do in the air that you are going to inevitably favor certain body types and going beyond that certain periods of your life where you are able to do these things. Because obviously when we talk about jumps or sport in general, this is not necessarily skating specific, but injuries happen and we want to as much as we can preserve the health of the athletes so that the performance that we ask them to put out for our enjoyment do not ruin their health for the rest of their lives right and so we have to have this health concern i think in mind as we think about the direction where our sport is going and so currently we're headed towards a narrower and narrower selection of people that are able to do this sport and be competitive. And I would like to see that being broader because ultimately, again, what do I want to see from figure skating? You know, I like jumps, but I don't like a program that has only jumps. I'm also fine to see a program that has no jumps. I'm happy to see a program that has, say, choreographed ball. There's a huge variety of things that you can do on the ice that today are not part of the competitive field. You see that in shows, right? One example that will speak to you, certainly Anna, and then hopefully to some of our listeners, is the program that Stefan skated to this bitter earth. So this is a very deep personal program. I think you cannot watch it without being like somehow all torn up inside because uh, it's just so touching because it's so authentic. It's him. He's out there. He's shouting. He is doing some seemingly uncontrolled movements. 
he's improvising almost half of the program every evening, every time he steps on the ice. It's so true. And I would like to see that from every performance that I watch, honestly. Not his movements or his style. I just mean that authenticity, that freedom, that musicality. And currently, there's not really space for that. And I want to go further. One thing that I find so amazing in this program is, you know, he starts this program and he has this backward spiral and he falls. And there's this moment where everyone wonders if he fell accidentally or on purpose. And you're left wondering for some time as he lays there on the ice, seemingly dead, you know, (laughs) whether this was intentional or not. And progressively, you understand that this was intentional. And it was beautiful. You know, it made so much sense. You immediately understand the purpose of the program. You feel this pain that he's trying to convey. So my point here is you can make a fall contribute massively to the value of a performance. Why not have a way to reward that? Of course, I have my opinion about what I want to see. And I know that there are many other people that have very different opinions. I'm not saying that this is the only thing that we should do, but I'm saying that I would like to see a broader sample of what skating can be in a competition. And so one of the questions I want to ask is, what would you think about a competition format where we have a top jump competition, where skaters will be performing the most difficult elements that they can in combination or not? A technical program where the focus is on technical proficiency. And so one of the things that you would like to see there, for instance, is every different type of jump being executed, meaning you have six jumps that you have to do in that program. You have to do maybe a certain pattern step that is maybe imposed. A quick note here, after we turned off the recording, Chris mentioned that one of the jumps would need to be on the non-dominant direction to help skaters avoid overwork injuries on their dominant side. Okay, back to Chris. And the idea there is to really be able to compare one-to-one skater to skater and be really able to say definitively, well, that skater's performance was better. And that was one of the great things about compulsory dances, you know, even before pattern dances. I love to watch compulsory dances because it's so evident when you make it uh, mandatory to do a certain thing. So you can really tell apart what we would generally call skating skills today and have that segment be the technical segment. And then have one segment that is much more free, where basically almost anything is allowed. You would have a certain duration, but where the focus is on musicality, on individuality, creativity, where you know a fall can be extremely creative and you shouldn't lose points for doing something interesting. And so afterwards you will tell me what you think and maybe we can keep exchanging. But my thought with that is let's not leave anyone out of the sport. There are skaters that are extremely good jumpers and it's amazing to watch them jump. And maybe that's what they are interested in the most. And they should not be left out because for 20 years, we've said that's what matters the most. And you have people that have an excellent technical proficiency, maybe not the highest difficulty in, not the highest number of revolutions in a specific jump, but they have a very complete set of skills and they can have very good quality in what they do. And these people will do fantastic in the technical program. And then you have people that are extremely creative. Maybe they were never really good with jumps for whatever reason. Maybe they have a disadvantage for some reason, or maybe simply they're not 
so interested in that. However, they are really creative and they can do really amazing things and, you know, have a segment for them and uh, not just people that are not interested in jumps. I I don't want to sound like it's uh, somehow for people that can't do it, because what I would love is for people to participate in all of these categories. But to be realistic, I think people will tend to focus on one area or rather on two areas, maybe rather than all of them. And also that this will somehow leave the door open for people to evolve through their careers in where they want to compete in, you know? So I'm thinking something that's closer to what you have in gymnastics where, you know, you might be interested more in a specific area and you maybe don't really care about the general ranking. And so the idea there would would be that you have a medal for each of these categories and ultimately you have a medal for the overall competition. The idea really I want to stress out is to broaden what skating can be. I think it also has a lot of benefits for making sure that people stay in the sport past their teenage years and make sure that there is going to be a place for good skating at the competitive level. So that is one thing that we thought about uh, could be done. I don't think it's necessarily a a new idea. There have been variations of that before. I'm not trying to claim credit for it or anything, but certainly I think that it would solve a lot of the problems that I see today with skating because I don't want it to be so narrow that we end up with a lot of people leaving the sport when they reach a certain age because they can't do a triple axel. They're fantastic skaters, but they're 16, 17, I don't know, and they can't do a triple axel in the men's category. So anyway, they have no chance, so they give up. And I find that so sad because, again, the skills and what you can do on the ice go so much further than what we see today in ISU competitions. I think it's the right time to think about this as we start this new Olympic cycle, to think about not for this Olympic cycle, maybe not yet for the next, but that we review more profoundly what uh, skating should be. What do you think about that? I really like it. People are thinking about exactly these questions and trying different experiments in different ways. So at a non-elite level in Canada and in the U.S., there is a second competition track. In Canada, it's STAR. In the U.S., it's Excel. It's another way that you can compete. And it accepts that maybe you're not somebody who has the resources or the drive to train hours a day, six days a week, but you still want to have goals and to be able to compete. And within that, they have showcase programs, they have different kinds of things, and it gives people an opportunity. Like I was a teenager still trying to learn single jumps, like I'm not going to compete with the seven-year-olds, so I didn't compete at all. But if this program had existed when I was younger, it would have given me some. We're talking a couple levels down there, but I think it's trying to get at some of those same questions of keeping people in the sport and valuing different kinds of athletes. And the other thing that I was thinking about as you were saying this is solo dance is becoming more common and starting to become maybe an international competition. And that that also potentially gives another pathway for skaters who what they're really passionate about is the skating and not so much the elements. But neither of those are quite what you're saying. I think that you're going more to the heart of the actual competitive elements, which I like. And the different types of competition would appeal to different people. Like I'm thinking about Deanna Stellato and Max Deschamps. They're really, really passionate about technical innovation. They've invented a new kind of death spiral. They really want to push the sport in that way. And they had all of these ideas about 
a competition just for who could do the best twist or let's bring back there's a toad type twist that nobody does anymore and like so like they had all of these ideas not necessarily about you know difficulty in the sense of more revolutions but other ways to try to push the sport technically but I get the sense that for them, the program is a vehicle to show off that. It's not so much about the skating and expressing themselves artistically in that format. But different people would have different priorities and ways to celebrate what they could each do. Yeah, it's really great that there are these discussions. And I don't think it's something that should come from the top down, you know, like it has been a little bit in the past. I think you want things to grow kind of naturally, to have the athlete's opinion on it, the coach's opinion on it, and that we are building together the competitions that we want to see happen. I'm presenting this idea to you now, but you know maybe it's a bad idea for some reason I haven't thought about just yet. And tomorrow, because I also keep thinking about this and these things, uh, something else will come up and I will go back to that drawing board and uh, go in a different direction. But really the guiding principle for me is broadening what skating can be and also ultimately broadening the audience that we have. I think it's so critical for the popularity of the sport that people stick around. I think everyone realizes that. And certainly we've made some changes this year with increasing the, the age for the seniors, but we have to go a little bit further than that. And today the programs are really quite restrictive. If it's not a box that someone can check, then it's not worth anything or practically not worth anything. We need to give more opportunities for the skaters to perform what they can, more opportunities for the audience to discover things that they want to see. I think this is the same thing that's coming behind the conversation about technical minimums as well. That's been very much in conversation in the last few weeks because so many skaters are trying <laughs> again and again and just narrowly missing. But I'm thinking of some of the skaters that I saw at Europeans, for example, that were by far my favorite performances. Walter Viertinen, Yari Kessler, and these are skaters who are falling just short of the technical minimums for worlds. And it's just such a shame that they won't get to be there. And also, I think it's a shame that so much of their energy is going toward chasing, can I get that one combination jump out in competition when they have so much else to show in the sport? Absolutely. And beyond that, if they had the opportunity to focus on other things, I think that's really what I want people to understand. The possibilities are enormous. You can do so much more than what we see currently. I invite everyone to look at shows and try things for themselves. And there are people in this community that are trying to do some really creative things. And we need that, really. That's where our future should be. The pleasure that I've had in the last couple of years of getting to learn more about whatever you call it, artistic skating, contemporary skating, you know, different professional companies that are out there and people who are trying outside of the competitive or even outside of the sort of typical show world, be more like dance companies in some ways. There's so much amazing skating and there are people who are going to see those shows who don't watch competitive <laughs> skating at all. Absolutely. I feel like it's important to also make it competitive, you know, that's what I'm thinking about because it needs to be recognized as something that is good and worth pursuing. You can be an artist and be competitive, you know, you can want to do the best creative program, 
of a group of people and not just singles it, it can be groups it can be you know two guys two women non-binary much more diversity because if in the end what we want to see is just something that creates beauty that is engaging it doesn't really matter and of course there's always a question you know if we make it artistic it's going to be all subjective would it have its place at the olympics well i want to preempt this question by saying that just because you can't measure doesn't mean you can't appreciate. If we go back to the very origins of the modern Olympics, there was an art competition in the Olympics. So Pierre de Coubertin, he is Olympic champion for a poem that he wrote about sport. And you could have Olympic medals for sculptures and drawings. It had to be related to sport for sure. But this idea that an artistic component is part of the Olympic values has been there from the start of the modern Olympics. And I see absolutely no reason to exclude uh, such an idea now. Oh yeah, no, I love that. And the other thing that I just remembered that I was thinking while you were describing your idea and comparing it to gymnastics in particular is that I think that this could really make a team element be very interesting. We put together people specializing in each of these categories and I always enjoy the team event in the Olympics. It doesn't get as much attention or respect yet anyway. And I'd love to see more things like that. Or my half serious idea is that the team event should also have a timed group choreography. Take all of your skaters. You know, there has to be a couple jumps and a couple spins in this program. You know, this is stuff that the audience would love to see. And not only by country. Oh, I like that. I want to build on this idea of, uh, of gamification that you just mentioned, because we could very well have a concept where two skaters are competing against each other. And what they are challenging each other with remains to be thought about. But it could be, uh, okay, I'm going to do a certain step and you have to reproduce it. Or I'm going to do a certain jump and uh, you have to try to do better. And maybe I have certain amounts of time or attempts to do something and I will do something that I know is more difficult for you. Or it could be uh, you both have a music, you have 15 minutes to prepare choreography and then you go. The idea is how to engage uh, the audience by creating things that are thrilling to watch. And so long as the skating that we see is interesting, I'm all for it. We've seen sports developing with these concepts. I'm thinking, for instance, about hip hop, which is going to be at the Olympics. And so they had to design a whole judging system, which I thought was really interesting. So I looked a little bit into that, where you have to judge two competitors or their performances under certain metrics, something to the tune of technicality and the difficulty of what you're trying to do and the quality of your execution and so on. And then the soul, I think it was soul or something like this. So basically how much implication there is from you, you know, how that performance gets figuratively radiated to your audience. I don't remember. I think there was a third criteria, but certainly it's more complicated than what I'm trying to say now. But essentially the idea is the same. Naturally, when you watch skating, certainly it's natural to me, probably to many people, did this skater or that team perform better than the team I've just seen before. And so why not then directly have that as part of your judgment? Obviously, skating judgment is subjective. It should be subjective. I don't think it's possible to be completely objective. And I find the pursuit of that total objectivity a waste of time. And there's not only one truth. That's the whole point. Then it's okay to think, I like this better than I like that. 
or this was better than this, in my estimation. That's why we have nine judges on the panels, because not everyone thinks the same. You know, if you have the right metrics and this is used correctly and we deal with all the biases and potential corruption issues that we've had in the past, and that's not an easy thing to deal with, to be clear, then there's no problem with subjectivity. I always think at the end when they're in the kiss and cry, where are they going to be? Was this better than that one or that one? And I think, yes, it's better than that. And then I see the score and I'm like, okay, I disagree with that. But why do they disagree? Because in my subjective opinion, I have compared that person with someone else. And we're also told not to look at the scores as a comparable metric of the value of a performance, because you cannot compare one competition to another because of differences in the panels and uh, in, in the way people evaluate things in general. 150 in one competition is not the same as 115 in that other competition. So maybe you got 140, but actually it was better than the, the other competition. Forgetting about the total score, it's just like, did I think the ranking in the end is correct? That's natural to me. Is it natural to you? Yeah. And maybe it's partly because of having started watching skating under the old system, but it does make sense to me. And also this question of PCS and undervaluation in PCS, I'm very curious to see by the numbers, if the change to three PCS, this idea that there isn't the quarter and the judges have more freedom. I'm not sure that I've seen that, but I'm hoping that somebody who has better statistical analysis skills than I do can help to take a look at this season because I'm really curious if we were seeing a wider spread of someone, you know, maybe their skating skills aren't so good, but their performance was really high or vice versa, you would start to see more of that rewarding someone who has an amazing performance. It was interesting after talking to Euron Prinz about this, I went and looked at the next competition that he was judging and I noticed him doing it and no one else doing that. And so I thought, hmm, okay, it's not the rules, it's how they're applied. But I'd like not just my own perception of this, but to be able to say, how is this actually playing out? Absolutely. The difficulty is with our judging system, we are trying to structure the unobservable preferences that we collectively have about skating. And so the question is, is the current judging system inadequacy with the collective, again, latent preference structure? That's an open question. Certainly you have your opinion and, you know, I have mine. I think we can do better. We need to give people the freedom to express their opinion about the performance without constraining them too much. If we say we're able to completely describe in the mathematical way what is good skating and all we needed to do was put in the variables of whatever the skater did, then we wouldn't need nine judges. We wouldn't need one or a computer just observing. I don't think we will get there and I don't think we should get there because we touch upon emotions, beauty, things that are difficult to describe, impossible to measure. Therein lies all the purpose of allowing a subjective judgment. The thing is, if you go back to how this new 20 years old now, that new judging system was formed, it was after the scandal at the Salt Lake Olympics, and the issue there was corruption. And so, yes, you had to come up with a change so that there wouldn't be this corruption possible. 
And so the idea was let's try to make everything objective and measurable, but I don't think you can. And if you do, you are losing the beauty of the sport. And we find that if people are motivated to be corrupt, they still find ways in whatever system. But so the issue was corruption. The issue was not subjectivity. If people genuinely expressed their opinions through their judgments without undue influence on the result, then that would be perfectly fine, I think. Certainly, we need to have some guidelines as to what we're looking at. But I think that it doesn't need at all to be as complicated as it is today. I think generally, a lot of people agree that it should be much simpler. And certainly in your podcast with Jeroen Prince, that is one thing that he pointed out. Going from five to three components makes it simpler for the judges to make their calls. I'm also completely in favor with anything that makes it simpler so that it can be judged better. And we can go a lot further than this, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I had two questions that fans wanted me to ask okay. you. First, what are your favorite programs of Dennis and Stefan? <laughs> I'm going to be a little bit cheeky and say that my favorite program of Stefan's is the next one, because somehow throughout his career, he has managed to surpass himself every time he goes on the ice and does a new program. It's mind-blowing to me just how good he is as a skater. I think he's really a genius, a once in a lifetime talent uh, in this sport. And since he stopped competing, he's put so much energy into his performances in shows. He has gone so deep in exploring certain topics and ideas and trying to, again, create beauty. And every time he goes and does a new show with the new program it's something again like out of this world like so new and so interesting you know like we were talking earlier about this bitter earth the first time I saw this because I was I didn't see it when usually I see a little bit of the creation process but this happened while I was really busy at the office and I wasn't able to, to watch and I just knew about the music but so the first time I watched it was really in, in, a, in an actual performance and I was like shocked, you know, and I made that whole experience that, as I was saying, the audience is making about like, did he fall on purpose? Because I didn't know that this was happening, you know. So every time he's, he's surprised me. And so, you know, I can't wait to see what he comes up with next, you know. And uh, with Dennis, <laughs> I shared recently on Twitter a video that we watched together of him skating. I think it was in 2012. So he must have been, he was probably 12 years old at the time, like a mega mix of rap music. Uh, I don't know, a lot of different musics. I have no idea how he came up with that. In a Superman costume, unbelievable. It was so exciting to see how much into his performance he was. And it was the rap section. He was full on with the rap section. And I just love that about him. He is so engaged in what he does and it's always a pleasure to watch him in shows or in competitions i watched a few of his performances at Artemis this year and even though it was not something that had been planned for a long time he didn't really have a long time to create that program and to rehearse it for the show but he was so into it and it was a different character from what he usually does and he was completely into it you know whether it's something very classical or it's something deep like sin, 
or something a little bit more um, romantic, free, like like Dos Orgitas, other programs that he's done. He's really into it. He has a huge range, but mostly he's just committing to what he does. Both are amazing. I don't represent anyone else as an agent. And uh, frankly, they're the easiest clients you can have because you don't need to sell them. They're just... <laughs> yeah, I think this Bitter Earth became my favorite program. No, it's, it's, it's an amazing program. I have to say, it's, it's almost difficult for me to watch at this point. I feel very touched by it. You know, if I go to a show and I watch it three days in a row, I think I might get a little bit depressed. <laughs> I first saw it, just the videos from the shows in Japan at a point when I was feeling just incredibly depressed about the state of the world. Not anything like personal, but just really feeling like the heaviness of that. And it came at exactly the moment that I needed that catharsis through art that somebody else is feeling a bit of that too and being able to move through it. So just amazing. But it is, it's one of the programs that I would show somebody who doesn't watch skating, doesn't know anything and just be like, no context, just you need to watch this. And it's, it's not depressing in itself because it does have actually somewhat of a positive message. You know, this, this bitter earth might not be so bitter after all, but just like it makes you go down really deep within yourself, I think, as you watch it, because you feel that he is going deep within himself as he performs it, right? I don't know how he does that. No, oh, it's amazing. My other question is, do you agree with Dennis that an orca is your animal? <laughs> an orca? <laughs> yeah, because that's what he said at the fan meeting at Europeans, that oh, really? if he's a lion and Stefan is the zebra, that your animal should be an orca, because it's like a lion under the water. I must have missed that part. I must have been gone when he said that. Do I agree with the orca as my spirit animal? Well, maybe. They're called killer whales, but they're really misunderstood. They're actually extremely intelligent, and they take care of each other. I don't know if I know enough about orcas to see if I can relate, really, but leave it to, to him, <laughs> maybe to explain what, what he had in mind. Maybe I will ask him. I will ask him. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chris. This has been such a pleasure to get to talk with you for this time. The pleasure was entirely shared. Again, I want to say that I'm completely open to discussion about you know the ideas we talked about or other ideas about the future of figure skating. I hope that uh, people come to me with <laughs> ideas they want to discuss and that together we can collectively push for a future or development of skating that is in line with you know what we like and what we want to see. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Christopher Trevisan. You can look at the show notes for the transcript and links to many of the programs and the ideas that we discussed. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Christopher Trevisan and the Skating School of Switzerland on Instagram at Skating School. You can reach me with comments or suggestions for topics and people I should talk to by email at fsfuturepodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram and Twitter at futurefspodcast. Remember to subscribe to the Future of Figure Skating on whatever platform you use, leave a review and share it with your friends.